0: Well, hello, you fine folk of Southern Oregon and beyond. This is Dream Infringement. We were established back in 2016, and we are still broadcasting over the airwaves. This is Jennifer Woodside, along with my co-hosts, Bobby and Emily Castillo. But for this show, it's just the girls, just me and Emily. You may remember a while back that we did a show called looking for love about people in the past who placed ads and went to great lengths to find someone to love and this is a continuation of that theme only with a spin it's looking for love in the animal kingdom whether it's an animal that bonds and has a relationship for life or just a very brief union There are a lot of interesting, unique, complex, humorous, and even profoundly touching things animals do when they are looking for a partner. I'm going to start things rolling with a song. This is The Birds and the Bees by Jewel Akins. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. So the animal that was the inspiration for this theme uh, came from a little piece of trivia that I saw on Instagram that said, female sloths don't have an elaborate mating ritual. They simply sit in their trees and scream until a male finds them. And they do this eight to 10 days each month and can emit high-pitched screams every 10 to 15 minutes until a male arrives. Like, ta-da, I have been summoned. So. I had questions. First I think we need to hear the scream to understand what it would be like to live where the sloths are just hanging out locally and then I assume all the females are kind of on the same schedule because there's kind of prime birth months and then how long does it take for the male sloth to come over And are the females really picky? Like, does the sloth spend forever climbing up the tree for the lady sloth to be like, I don't want no scrubs, and like, he has to go back down, risking his life facing predators to go find another tree with a screaming female to climb up? Well, I I intend to answer these questions as best I can. Um, But firstly, to make a distinction, there are three-fingered sloths and two-fingered sloths. I wouldn't have thought one finger would have made that big of a difference in how they approach uh, their love languages, but the two-fingered sloths are quiet. Well, about that, but both the males and females mark their scent by rubbing their booty on some tree branches to send a message, like a little newsletter. I am single and ready to mingle, or... Tree closed for business, so that's that's them. So the the three fingered sloths are a little more interesting. So we're gonna leave the stinky trees and go back to the screaming trees. Let's hear a sloth's most come hither scream and uh, see what we think. I turned the volume down on that scream by like 50% to give you an idea. I was expecting something. I was not expecting this sort of alien ear splitting cry. And they do this all the time. Okay, so I don't ever want to move to a location that is near a sloth sanctuary or just a natural sloth habitat. No. Mm -mm. So I found some answers to my previous questions. So the female shrieks into the night or day, I guess, and the males are like an available female. And then they start, the race is on. uh, It can bring mates from up to a little less than half a mile away, but that distance takes them about half a week to travel. Then they converge on the tree, and then they have to fight it out. They do that by hanging from the tree with their feet and pawing at each other until one of them is declared a winner. Uh, Sloths, (laughs) there's one thing that they are not slow at. Their actual union uh, takes less than a minute, Uh, but then the sloth will hang out. They'll spend several more days getting to know each other and then he fights off all would-be challengers but that doesn't really matter because if he takes a nap then the others will sneak in to woo the lady sloths don't have any discretion there is no loyalty there is no pickiness Uh, now we know And I think I shall not myself personally ever go hang out in a tree outside my house and scream for a boyfriend. It might work for sloths. It does not work for humans. Well, I mean, it might. I haven't tried it. I'm not gonna. But if you do, report back to us. We we would like to know. This song is by John Paul Young, and it's Love is in the Air.
1: Love is in the air, in the whisper of a tree. Love is in
0: the air, in the of the sea. Next up is a story from my dear friend and co host, Emily.
1: In the quirky world of animal courtship, few creatures can rival the charm and creativity of bowerbirds. These avian casanovas are the true masters of architecture, building what can only be described as the ultimate bachelor pads to win over their potential mates. Bower birds make nests called bowers, and they almost look like tiny little shrines on the forest floor. There are two walls of sticks that bend toward one of no- toward one another, and it almost creates this like hallway effect. Um, there are different kinds of bower birds. One of the most common ones is the satin bower bird, and they do the traditional they make the traditional shaped bower um with like the curved curved branches on either side, but they decorate their bower. Or nest with blue things. The males are like this really brilliant, shiny blue, and they'll even use their own feathers to decorate. And then they'll collect other things that they find that are blue berries, flowers, even like plastic bits that they find. Um, there was one nest that I saw online, and it had like a little blue plastic doll. And so they kind of place these all around the nest to show off you know, who's got the bluest nest and like the best stuff. Not only are bower birds working hard to collect the best stuff for their own nests, um, they are oftentimes sneaking into each other's territory to steal trinkets and even destroy other bowers. Um, Some Juvenile males take around seven years to reach maturity, during which time they practiced building bowers, displaying to other young males, and working in gangs to steal from adults. <laughs> There's another type of bower bird that does something a little bit different. Um, it's called they're called the great bower birds. And while the satin bower birds are like that iridescent, beautiful blue color. The great bowerbirds are actually all pretty much a drab gray-brown, the males and the females. Um, But the males have this hidden crest of neon pink feathers on the top of their heads. And they keep this crest hidden until they are trying to attract a female. Um, Their bowers are similar to the upright stick avenue bowers of the satin bowerbird, But instead of using only blues to decorate their bowers, um, they find things that are gray, white, things accented with red, purple, and green objects. To the undiscerning eye, these nests don't look quite as impressive as the satin bowerbirds' nests. They actually look kind of like a big ol' mess. Um, But scientists decoded The Bowerbird, the great Bowerbird's decor philosophy, and they discovered that there is actually a sophisticated system of optical illusions. So they've got the basic bower structure it's an avenue of upright reddish sticks with a semi-circular display court at each end. Then curious female Bowerbirds sit inside the avenue, and then the walls limit their visual field. The males pop their heads in and out to surprise them and flick or wave colored objects across the female's <laughs> field of view. So, <laughs> the researchers from Deakin University discovered that Bower materials alter the female's perception of color. Those reddish sticks help to induce a chrom- chromatic adapt- ad- adaptation, which creates a more heightened experience of red, green, and lilac colors. And those are the colors that the great bower birds are using to decorate their bowers. And those are the colors on the hidden crest that's on top of their head. When they present prized objects to potential mates, the males keep their multicolored objects out of sight, presenting one after the other to females in a non-random order. Then it gets even more interesting. So those same scientists discovered that the gray and white stage items... Often shells and pebbles are precisely ordered from smallest near the bower to largest at the outer edge of the court, and this arrangement actually creates an optical illusion that helps the male appear larger when he's displaying. Um, They don't really know how all of these adaptations contribute toward reproductive success, but um, they do know that the longer the female stays and watches, the more likely she will consent to uh, the procreation of more flower birds. The song I chose is to build a home by the cinematic orchestra. Uh, uh.
0: like that song good choice emily i found some other stories of really crazy bird hijinks Uh, one was called the liar bird if the female was like yeah you know i'm not feeling it the liar bird has an amazing ability at mimicry so they would mimic the sound of a flock of birds sounding an alarm that a predator is nearby like danger 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 So when the female attempts to leave, the male is like, oh, we're surrounded by danger. And so the female is like, oh, no, I guess I need a big, strong man to protect me or that they'll eat first. So, yeah, you can stick around. So (laughs) that's something. And then I also read that there are some ravens who are in like a committed relationship. There's a Mrs. Raven but then there's also a few bachelor ravens in the neighborhood. And the alpha raven is kind of like, huh, look at those young upstarts. And so when the bachelor is like, you know what? I could use a lady friend. And he starts building a little a little nesty nest, making it all nice and cozy. The top raven, he's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. We know what comes from strong family units, mutiny. And he'll go and, like, destroy the nest. Like, no, I don't think so. We're the it couple here. Don't even think about it. To maintain, like, his status as top raven. So that's kind of mean. You think you're building a sweet little nest for your honey, and you come back, and it's demolished. And who is it? It's the raven that already has a girlfriend or a wife. I don't know their, their level of commitment. He's already got his. And he he won't give a, the other one a chance. That's just mean. The song I picked is "Bye Bye Blackbird" by Joe Cocker.
1: Ah the enchanting world of underwater romance, where even the most unlikely candidates can pull off a mesmerizing performance in their quest for love. Enter the Pufferfish, a creature known more for its defensive puff-up strategy than its sultry seduction techniques. But don't be fooled by their prickly exteriors. When it comes to attracting a mate, Pufferfish put on quite the show, and it all revolves around their unique talent for making circles in the sand. In 1995, these underwater crop circles were discovered in Japan, and at first nobody could explain the phenomena. Now the mystery has been solved, and it's the pufferfish that are creating them. The team of researchers behind the finding declared that the huge geometrical structures play a role in the species mating rituals. Males laboriously flap their fins as they swim along the seafloor, resulting in disrupted sediment and amazing circular patterns. Although the fish are only about 12 centimeters, or 5 inches, long, the formations they make measure about 7 feet in diameter. It takes about 7 to 9 days for the pufferfish to construct the circles. First, they involve radially aligned ridges and valleys outside the nest site second the male decorates these ridges with fragments of shells third the male gathers fine sediments to give the resulting formation a distinctive look and coloring females base their decision about whether or not to mate with a male upon his construction skills although researchers still don't understand what it is exactly that females are looking for in their ideal circular pattern If things go well, however, the female will lay her eggs in the center of the circle, and then, like most fishes, the male will fertilize those eggs externally. And there's a chance that it's only the fine sand that females are after, not the formation's intricate patterns or symmetry. The beautiful lines and structure could serve only to channel those particles to the center and have no aesthetic purpose um that's what one of the researchers told um the people in this article that i found here is a belinda carlisle in a song that almost sounds like it was made about pufferfish. it's circle in the sand
0: read about another ocean dweller called the dawn flatworm the name makes them sound gross like they're a parasite or something but they're not they're actually kind of pretty um and they're hermaphrodites meaning they are both male and female at the same time and so when two flatworms are given each other the old eye uh, (laughs) i think they have eyes they have to make an executive decision of who is going to be mom and who's going to be dad. It's kind of like a very violent game of not it to the point where they'll injure each other and then the winner gets to be the dad and it literally says he creeps away while the mother, then the loser, <laughs> takes on the the job of uh, growing the offspring. kind of an interesting way to... I mean, I guess you have to delegate somehow. But wait, we're not ready to leave the sea yet. No, though something a bit bigger than a flatworm. (laughs) Is it bigger than a breadbox also? Yes, it is. Humpback whales. They're the ones that sing. They are the Star Trek singing whales. I always love that plot point. And... They have a unique approach. A large selection of the males will assemble to make up a huge sea arena, because their challenge is to create the loudest signal possible to entreat the local females to come and visit. And it's not a one-whale job. It needs a lot of them all cooperating together. And they space themselves out, because that helps the sound carry farther. And scientists recently discovered that even some of the younger males will join. They're not ready for a whale of a good time yet, but they get in some training in how to sing, what to sing, etiquette around the ladies, and in turn, these younger reinforcements help make a bigger signal. So they're helping each other out. Though recently and sadly, scientists have noticed a change. Since whaling was banned and there are now a lot more humpback whales in the seas, and there is so much more noise pollution. Whales have been singing less and fighting a lot more when it comes to the dating game. Like, why sing and let others know where I am located when I can be quiet and sneak in and find a lady with much less competition? So it's sad that that has been changing in their whale culture. Because the first way was so beautiful, so much better for the younger whales to learn the traditions, the ways, the song. This kind of sounds like a plot for an animated film with a strong environmental message, doesn't it? Uh, (laughs) But no, it's real life. The song that I picked is by a barbershop quartet called Signature, doing a cover of the song Somebody to Love by
1: Queen. Can anybody find me? Da, da, somebody love. love. I need somebody to love. Oh, oh. oh. Every, day. every day I, tried, so and I, I tried, tried and I tried and I, I tried. tried but... Scientists have discovered that male mice woo females with ultrasonic songs Uh, The study shows for the first time that mouse mouse song varies depending on the context and that male mice have a specific style of vocalization reserved for when they smell a female in the vicinity. Females appear to be more interested in this specific style of serenade than other types of squeak that male mice produce researchers were surprised at how much change there were in these songs um, compared to other songs in different social contexts. The findings place mice in an elite group of animal vocalizers that was once thought to be limited to birds, whales, and some primates. Mouse songs are too high-pitched for the human ear to detect, but when listened to at a lower frequency it kind of sounds somewhere between a bird song Or the noise it makes when you're cleaning glass with a rag. And I know you all are anxious to hear what that sounds like. So, for your listening pleasure, here is a mouse song. So, this is Duke University's um recording. Um, they recorded male mice when they were roaming around their cages, and then they exposed them to the smell, the scent of a woman a mouse <laughs> and um and then they placed them in the presence of a female mouse. They found that uh, males sing louder and more complex songs when they smell a female but don't see her. By comparison, the songs were longer and simpler when they were directly addressing their potential mate, according to the findings published in Frontiers of Behavioral Neuroscience. It's like they make more effort to bring the female nearby. Once she's within reach, the game is already won, and they focus more on mating behaviors. And this is what a neuroscientist at Duke University said about the mice. Uh, Scientists also found that female mice showed more interest in the calling serenade when they were placed in a tunnel, with two types of song playing through speakers at opposite ends. The scientists said that female mice may use the quality of a male singing as an indicator of whether they are of good genetics. More complex sequences of sound might indicate that the male has other desirable qualities, such as better-than-average memory, for instance. Mice may also use vocal signatures to recognize each other, the author speculated. They even noticed that female mice were more interested in the songs or sounds of mice from different families, so something that is not familiar to them because that would risk uh, inbreeding. Another thing that I read... Uh, that I found really interesting is from Mu Yang, who led this work at the University of California, Davis, um, said that she would classify mouse song as social signals rather than intentional communication. And so this me, she said, if someone hit you, you might yelp, ouch, then ask, why did you hit me? The ouch part is emitting a signal almost almost physical response. The why did you hit me part is communication, a signal that means to elicit, elicit a meaningful reply. She said, in my opinion, mouse vocalizations are more likely to be signal emitting than to communication. So who knew that mice were the crooners or part of the crooners of the animal World, So to honor these tiny little uh, crooning mice, we're going to play a song by who I consider the ultimate crooner. That's Nat King Cole and his song, L-O-V-E, Love. Love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two, two love
0: can make it the mice made me think of this account i read about prairie voles who are considered among the most monogamous mammals people are always talking about like wolves and geese where <laughs> Where is the humble prairie vole in this list? Um, And it says that they can sense when their partner is stressed out, they shower them with affection, they spend most of their time together. Um, If another vole of either sex wanders into the area, they'll chase them off. And then the paragraph says, except when alcohol is involved, according to Oregon researchers who tested their fidelity while under the influence, Alcohol makes female voles want to be closer to their mates, but can lead male voles to stray." And that just seems so rude. Here you have a a loving, committed vole family, and are the researchers going to pay for the the little prairie therapy they're going to need to get over this? Was this devastating to their familial unit, or was Mrs. Vole, like, forgiving of the trespass? Like, how did that play out? I, I feel like that's just really mean to do to animals that actually like each other. And why do the organ researchers need to know this? I don't know. It doesn't seem ethical, right? So this is the last animal tale for this evening in my mind i imagine our audience is kind of split 50 50 on this some thinking i could listen to strange animal mating rituals all the live long day and the others saying i've, I've had enough anymore and i'm going to have some really weird dreams tonight and i don't want that i don't want that for you either so yes this is the last animal tale for this evening we could have a looking for love animal kingdom part two or three you don't know we're subject to caprice like that. Uh, anyway, so the penguin, the Gentoo penguin, when seeking a commitment, searches around for the most perfect rock, as smooth and as flat as possible, as a gift to the penguiness of his desire. The females use stones to line their nests, the small rocks help cover the ground and keep their eggs elevated above the water once the snow starts to melt. So the acceptance of this perfect pebble, this love token, marks the pair's commitment to each other. It's kind of like the male is saying, hey, want to build a nest with me? It's a gift with a symbolic intention. Observation of the rock-finding habit, though, shows how much time a penguin will spend collecting the stone that it brings. They're intensely dedicated to finding the perfect stone within all the possibilities of their habitat. And for some males, this pebble envy can lead to thievery and pilfering of other nests. Like, they have blinders on. Nothing is going to keep them from the perfect stone. They will literally leave no stone unturned to find the stone they want to present. So, yeah, little penguin lore for you. Anyway, thank you so very, very much for tuning in to our show tonight. We hope you enjoyed some of it, all of it, and learned some things about this great big world that we live in and the animals that share it with us. Tune in next week. We'll have a completely different theme going on, and I suspect we'll be rejoined by Bobby. In the meantime, stay tuned for Sophia Blanton with One World, Many Songs, and we hope you have a wonderful night and no weird dreams. And I'm gonna play you out with a song. This is Paul Simon with Loves Me Like a Rock She get down on her knees and hug me won't oh, she
1: love me like a rock
0: She want the rock